Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode 12 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam Fowser with Fowser Consulting. Sam, we have a packed episode this week. We're going to go about where you've been, maybe where I've been as well. We'll talk some training around retention. We'll talk about the book Built to Last by Jim Collins, do Sam's favorite Taken we have a fabulous interview with former Domino CEO, Patrick Doyle. We'll introduce a little Willie Nelson with On the Road Again, and then we'll close out this fabulous episode. How's that for an agenda, Sam? That sounds like one heck of a packed agenda with some really good stuff. So without further ado, let's jump in. Drew, where you been? Sam, I have been, well, here in lovely, small as a table Dexter. Had some family stuff going on, had that graduation for my youngest. So I have been here, but it's been awesome because as I've been here, I've been helping a couple clients with Learning Hub and getting their, their back end the Learning Hub together. And I've actually done my first ever virtual onboarding, helping uh, Christina Palmieri and her new trainer onboard over Zoom, which has been spectacular. It's amazing that you were able to get all that done in a town the size of a table. It is incredible. Just for reference, you know, I grew up in this town the size of a table and it's about twice as big now as it was when I grew up. So you can just imagine that. In fact, where your house sits, Drew, that was uh, simply a cornfield. Back to where we've been, I uh, just got home and I was in beautiful Benton Harbor, Michigan, helping franchisee David Mori open a new store there, beautiful pizza theater. The folks at Benton Harbor are going to be able to get great Domino's pizzas. Did a lot of onboarding of new team members, teaching them how to stretch pizzas, answer phones, all that good stuff to make sure that our customers are getting a great experience. And the week prior to that, I was down with newly minted franchisee Chris Schlater, and I was helping his guy Garrett do some internal OERs, and I worked with his trainer and we were uh, working on their pizza prep school which is something that they're doing to make sure that their retention goes up just a little bit more than it has been so been a been a busy couple of weeks which could explain why it's been four weeks since we dropped an episode you know i think we have to explain that for just a second as our listeners know sam and i travel a lot and even though we travel we've recorded episodes of this from hotel rooms However, this episode has proved slightly challenging as the first hotel room Sam was in, I believe its internet was run by a hamster on a wheel. I think it was a three-legged hamster, in fact. Once we found we couldn't record then, Sam went into a store and the podcast gods were like, no, 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 we're going to drop the internet in the store every time you hit record. You know, it was amazing to me as well, Drew, just how loud a Domino's pizza store is before opening. And I was unplugging coolers and turning off the make line and it was crazy loud. And then like you said, the internet God said, yeah, thanks for doing all that, but um, not today. No, you get us this time. If that's the case, then let's bring in some Tom Petty and some learning to fly and get into talking training. Sam, 
there are all these Facebook groups and everybody's talking about staffing and staffing and staffing. I don't know about you, but I keep seeing like post one. I have no people. I do two drivers on a Friday night. Post two. Five star, fourth in a row. Post three. I have no drivers. Post four. Five star. Why do you think it is that some folks are suffering and some folks are succeeding, Sam? Well, I think it all stems from retention and I think it stems from leadership. And we've talked about this on the previous 11 episodes. I think we both hesitated jumping into retention again here on episode 12, but then we decided that this is probably the biggest challenge facing the brand and probably the biggest challenge that I've ever seen in my 37 years in and around the brand. So I think we need to jump into this retention a little bit more. Sam, for those, retention could occasionally be like a corporate kind of word. Could you help define retention for our listeners that you know, may be new to management and don't know what that means? I think retention is all about keeping the people you've got. So we're, you know, like you said on the posts on Facebook, you're seeing I've got no people. And then you see another stores apparently got people and they're able to create great Domino's pizza experiences and create great operational evaluation review scores and, and get five stars. So there's got to be something going on from store A to store B that's different. And to me, it's all about retention. As I work with clients, and I'm sure you're seeing this as well, Drew, I'm not seeing a horrible problem with application flow. Uh, although some stores certainly have some issues with application flow, and that's a whole other subject that we'll likely get into on another episode. But what I'm seeing is that we're not having a problem hiring people. We're having a problem keeping people. And that's what retention is all about, keeping the people that you hired. And if you are like me and occasionally like a number, it's really easy to figure out your retention number. You want to take the people you started, say like period three. At the end of period three, how many people do you have left? Whatever the difference is, divide that by what you started by and congratulations, that's your retention rate. And I think, you know, unlike more white collar type businesses, our retention rates are naturally a little higher than other ones. So Drew, what's been your experience with what a typical retention rate is? For instance, when you were with Team USA, what, what kind of retention rates were you looking for? Or turnover rates, I should say, not retention rates, turnover rates. So that's just it, right? So you have turnover where you're tracking how many people leave and then you have retention. So the way the corporate stores track retention years ago was by we wanted to keep not everybody because to be honest, we all have that person we know that is on the team that shouldn't be on the team. So the retention rate was always about keeping your top 15 or 20% that those people have to stay on the team because if they don't, now my bench is gone and I'm short staffed. So the corporate stores used to measure keeping those top, I mean, a store of 20 people, you're talking your top three or four people have to stay on board. Okay. that makes sense to me. And then did you track turnover rates in Team USA at all? Or was that just something that, that was irrelevant because the number is always so high anyway? So it got tracked. It got tracked on a 12-year or 12-month annual basis. So the number you saw was rolling over a whole 12 months, and it would just confuse people. Keep for, for you guys listening, keep it simple. Keep it easy. How many people do you have at the start of the time period? How many people do you have at the end? You ideally want to keep the same people and grow a couple. That's the goal here. So maybe it would be a good idea for our listeners that are running stores to to help them wrap their head around retention and keeping that top 15 or 20%, take a look at a schedule from one period ago 
two periods ago, three periods ago, and see how many of those people are no longer with you, especially people that you wish were with you. And maybe that'll help you understand where we're going with this whole retention thing. So once you've got an idea about retention, Drew, I, I think that there's three steps, three things that are just eminently important to making sure that your retention numbers are good. And we talked about these three steps. Are we agreeing about these three steps? I completely agree with the three steps. And almost every book we've read agrees with step number one, Sam. Yeah. So back in episode one, when we talked to Kevin Shaw and Kevin Shaw talked all about energy and we read the book, The Energy Bus, it talked about, you know, you've got to be the energy that your team needs to see. You know, the old saying, the pace of the pack is determined by the speed of the leader. I think the energy of the pack is absolutely determined by the energy of the leader. So you've got to make sure that you've got this energy and we keep talking about it at length. And if you're not a high energy person, maybe you hear us talking about high energy and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, that just sounds like soft, squishy crap. But we see it time and time again, Drew, we go into a store and somebody that's got some energy, the team has energy. And somebody that doesn't have energy, the team doesn't have energy. And Sam's saying the word high energy. I don't even think it needs to be high energy. Think back to when you were little, if you ever watched the Winnie the Pooh cartoons. Winnie the Pooh does not have high energy, but he is always positive and they follow him everywhere. Eeyore is mostly negative and is almost always left behind. Being that positive influence, even if you can't bring the energy to smile through it, to be happy. People want to work for folks who are having fun and are happy and get jobs done. People do not want to work for folks that dwell on the negative, find all of the flaws and have problems with no solutions. So I think what I hear you saying is, you know, you should bring an energy to the store where you're more interested in finding the honey instead of worrying about losing your tail. Oh, we need to put that on a poster. Yeah, I mean, I think we could. That could be the next Drew and Sam Talk training motivational poster. We're just going to have to see if we can get rights to that from Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore. And Disney. Eeyore. Disney. Disney. I'm sure they're coming for us right now as we're recording this. <laughs> What's step one, Sam? Yeah. So step one, all about finding uh, the positive energy and making sure that uh, you've got energy. Tell me about step two, Drew. And step two sounds really simple, but it's actually pretty hard. You got to keep who you got. And this can be a whole range of things from helping people learn their role, train them in the next set of skills, Build a consistent standard schedule. Be nice to them. Reward them. Congratulate them. High five. Like do all the things you want to do. My first franchisee, Mac Patterson, it was golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Man, that's exactly what this is here. If if you want it to be a fun, happy place, then you have to be fun. And if you want to be rewarded for doing great things, then reward your team as they do great things as well. You know, I like what you say there. You've got to make sure that they're learning, that you're training them the skills they need to be successful, that you're scheduling them how they want to be scheduled. I mean, every ad that I've ever seen for a Domino's Pizza employment opportunity talks about flexible scheduling. And most of the team members that I talk to that are leaving or that have already left talk about the lack of flexibility in the schedule. Or I told my manager I was I couldn't work on Thursday and they scheduled me and then they were mad because I wasn't there. I think to me, 
one of the easiest ways to keep the people you got is to do what's called a stay interview. We've heard about exit interviews, and obviously we're doing interviews to get people into the store, or we're at least checking to see if they have a pulse. But you could be doing stay interviews with the team members that you've got. And and to me, Drew, it's just three simple questions. And it's it's number one, how you doing? Wait, 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 wait. wait. Can we role play this? So I walk into the store and I see Drew in there. He's a new team member or he's a team member that's been a while. And and I step aside and I say, hey, Drew, how you doing? Um, okay, Sam. How are we treating you? You know, I mean, fair to Midland. Okay, so um, so I'm sensing like there's something there. I'm sensing like maybe we're not treating you as well as we could or things aren't going as well as they could. Let me ask you this, Drew. If you were king for a day, if I put you in charge of this store right now, what one thing would you change that would make you more excited about the job you're doing? Oh, Sam, I mean, I've been here for 37 years. And let me tell you, I, I've got an idea. And here it is. So, and you know. Scene. <laughs> Thanks. Nice, <laughs> nicely played. So, you know, your team members are going to give you some answers that are solid gold and they're going to give you some answers that are just maybe a little out in left field or not even in the ballpark. And you've got to learn to take those. And what I would say the best way to get more and more answers from your team members is to make sure that you're not reacting to their answers, that you're simply saying um, two words that are really important if you want people to talk to you. Any idea what those two words are, Drew? Oh, I was hoping you would kick to me because I was going to just start jumping up and down going, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm guessing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank them for their time. Thank them for their input. Whether the input is valuable or not, thank them for giving it because that will make them want to give more input. And the more input they give, the better chance you have of getting some input that could be helpful. So a stay interview to me, you know, once you get done listening with this, to this podcast, if you're on your way into work, do some stay interviews today. And again, three simple questions. How you doing? How are we treating you? And if you were king or queen for the day, what would you change? And as you're doing those, remember that people do things that they continue to do things that they're rewarded for and they stop doing things that cause them pain. So it, that thank you, a high five, a pat on the back, a shout out in front of the store are all things that will reinforce good behavior. Yelling at the opening driver about the other driver that's late will create bad behavior. They'll stop talking. They'll stop talking to you. So reward your team for good and pull the bad stuff and into you and, and find a way to release it outside of work. Yeah, that's so important what you just said about not talking about other team members. And I think it's also important that you learn to gripe up. I don't think you should carry all your baggage. If you've got things that are bothering you, you've got to have a place to get rid of those as well. When you're done with the podcast, go to Google and Google the following thing, saving private Ryan gripe and watch that clip. It's about three or four minutes long, but it is an amazing clip that my friends at Team Honey Badger put into a training class that they were doing about leadership. And if you Google that clip, again, Saving Private Ryan, gripe up. You're going to see a passage with some soldiers that are in battle going through a field, just kind of talking about things. And you're going to hear Tom Hanks talk about the right way to gripe all right, so let's get back on track here with retention. Step one was have a positive energy. Step two is keep who you got. And we even gave you guys a, a stay interview guideline. And what's step three, Sam? 
Uh, it's all about setting full-fledged expectations, and it happens during the interview. I can't stress that enough. During the interview, if you're not setting full-fledged expectations, your team members are not going to meet your expectations because they don't know what they are. You know, it's amazing that you would say that because I'm going to digress for a second. A buddy of mine was at a job interview and it's a sales position. The manager interviewing him said, it's a Monday through Friday job. And my buddy was like, cool, that's great. No problem. He gets hired on because he's an awesome salesperson. And the first day, the manager looks at him and goes, I have four leads for you on Saturday. Hang on a second. I'm pretty sure he said it was a Monday through Friday job. Yep. And then the first thing he says is, I have four leads for you on Saturday. None on Friday. None on Thursday. No, no, no. Let's go for Saturday. Instantly, my buddy, who's a really good salesman, is not happy with his job and it's 48 hours into the job. How many times have we done something similar? Oh, no. Drivers don't clean here. Drivers don't sweep here. Drivers don't prep food here. Oh, wait. You got to go clean the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you said to a driver, and I'm talking to you now, listeners, you know, go do the dishes and they're looking at me and go, excuse me, I don't do dishes. That's not my job. I was hired to deliver pizza and you're looking at them like, oh, come on, don't you know what the job is? I mean, you've got to keep in mind of what's going on in the world today. There are a lot of your team members that were Uber Eats drivers or DoorDash drivers or any of these crazy aggregators that hopefully are going to go out of business soon. But all they did was drive. They didn't do dishes. They didn't fold boxes. They didn't prep food. They didn't have to wear a uniform. You've got to make these expectations clear during the interview if you don't want to lose them in that precious first three days, or they're going to turn into exactly like Drew's friend did. And in the first 48 hours, they're going to say, you know what? I made the wrong decision. I shouldn't have hitched my wagon to this horse because they are not doing what they told me they would do. So interview is so important, setting expectations. And that's where retention starts to me is at the interview. If I'm understanding you correctly, Sam, we have positive energy. We have keep who you got. We have set expectations in an interview, which really means from the start, you're selecting the people you want to keep. We talked earlier about where you've been, and I was in Benton Harbor, and I had a conversation with a franchisee later in the week, and I said, you know, we've got to do a better job of selecting who we're going to hire. And, you know, through some of the frustration of training of people that you know, probably weren't the best choice. He started to come around to that and he started to agree that, yeah, you're right. You know, we've got plenty of applicant flow. We could actually do some selection. And I would say that you have to do selection if you want to be in a better place six months from now than you are today. Being choosy is not going to fix your your staffing problem this week, next week, or maybe even the week after, but it's going to fix it for the long term. And hopefully our listeners are in this for the long game in creating teams that are going to be a dynasty instead of just filling holes in a schedule. I'm not a huge fan of filling holes in a schedule, Sam, but you know, you know what I am a fan of? An ad for our mini con. Hey, Sam, we've discussed so many topics in this podcast, but I thought it was time for us to stop talking and start training. That's a great idea, Drew. Hey, listeners, join us on July 20th for Drew and Sam Train Leadership. It's a mini con event. During that event, you'll hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three breakouts. 
full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability and recognized with an impact. But wait, there's more. You'll also have an opportunity to network with our other listeners of this podcast. Now, on some podcasts, you may pay hundreds of dollars for this two hours, but no, with us, just $49 gets you access to this event. Wow, what a bargain. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com, all one word, T-R-A-I-N-W-I-T-H-B-T-Y.com. Do it today. What are you waiting for? All right. That was a great ad for our Minicon. There's never been a better time than right now to go and sign up. Uh, What was that website to sign up again in case they missed it? Trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. All one word, no hyphens. Trainwithbty.com. You know, Sam, let's talk about a book. Burgess, it's time to read. Books, books, all the books I'll need, all the books, all the books I'll ever want. Sam, how'd you feel about this book? I was pretty excited about it because, of course, we did good to great in our last one, which turned out to be the prequel, according to the author Jim Collins and his co-author Jerry Porras. So when the book came, I was excited. I couldn't wait to open it up. And then about 37 seconds later, I was showing the book to my wife and I said, can you believe how small the print is in this book? And it was painful to read. And I'm looking at it and I think it's printed in about five point. There's not a whole lot of pages, but each page took me about 30 minutes to read because it was so small. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of the book, I got to agree. There was a point where I'm like, oh my gosh, it's taken me 12 minutes and I haven't turned a page yet. And I'm not a fast reader, but oh my gosh, that was slow. And yes, it's 380 pages all in, 400 pages. And a third of it is appendix and data because this is all about research. Everything in this book is research. And if you're a listener since the beginning, you know that Sam and I like fables. We like a story. This is not a story. This is two companies, one that was built to last and one that is either no longer in business or is bought up by the other comparison after comparison after comparison. Drew, let's let's actually talk about what uh, Jim and Jerry and their team put together in Built to Last. I'm actually going to step away from the book and ask the listener, have you ever thought that I could run labor or run service? Have you ever thought I could train my team or run labor? Have you ever thought I can make a perfectly weighed out product or I can make it fast? Are you getting into that whole or or and thing? I completely am. Preserve the core of your business and stimulate progress is something that Jim gets into in the book. And he talks about instead of or go with and. I, I want to weigh every product and make it fast. I want to run the best labor and deliver faster. And if you start thinking in ands, you start finding solutions that that go beyond what you're currently doing. When you go to or, you're putting up your own roadblock and choosing what you can and can't do. And it's amazing how he found all of these examples where these like Procter & Gamble, 150-year-old companies are going and, 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 and the ones that are dying are going or, or, or all along the way. The and was a big thing that was that was huge throughout the book. One of the other things, you know, he talked about the hedgehog principle in 
Good to Great. And he went on to say, you know, if you've read Good to Great, now you're reading Built to Last, you might be thinking about this hedgehog principle. And, you know, he talked about a couple of companies that didn't necessarily have a hedgehog product, but what they had was a hedgehog way of doing things. So he said you could either have a hedgehog product or you could have a hedgehog process. And he, he really did a good job of explaining what seemed to be, I don't know, a contradiction from one book to the next. But I, I like the way that he summed that up to the hedgehog process as opposed to a hedgehog product. It's because he found companies that it didn't work for. Uh, Sony, oh my gosh, we know Sony for the PlayStation and for sound equipment. And in the beginning, they were they were not doing those things. I think at one point they were doing like a squeeze bottle food or something, if I remember correctly, like just crazy, whatever was kind of crossing their path that they thought they could make a buck in. Wasn't their first product, uh, was it Sony? I don't know, I kind of got it confused because it's been a minute since I, I listened to that chapter, but didn't they start out with a rice cooker that didn't cook rice? Was that yes, Sony actually, or was that yes, one of the that's, other ones? That's what it was. No, it was the rice cooker. It didn't cook rice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you've got a rice cooker that won't cook rice, that's not, that's probably not a great business proposition. It's also not a rice cooker. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to argue with you when you're, when you're right. In the book, we talked about that it's, it's comparisons, right? So he talks about like Ford versus GM and Sony versus, I don't even remember this, the company that Sony was against because they're gone now, but it's like uh, Philip Morris and RJR and right. Walmart and Walt Disney. And it's all these comparisons. Here's the catch for our listeners. At the end of every chapter, he tells you, hey, you're not a CEO, but this might work for you, manager of people. And that's where the gold is because he takes 10 or 12 pages of comparisons between four or five different companies and boils it down into three paragraphs for what you can get out of this. You know, the other thing they talked about was homegrown management and recruiting from within and how as good as Jack Welsh was, he wasn't the first great CEO there and he wasn't the last great CEO there. And he had been, he had come up through the company. So, you know, I think the lesson there for us is to look at our CSRs and look at our drivers and don't think of them as just CSRs and just drivers. Think of them as your next manager, as your next manager, especially if you have any aspirations of becoming a multi-unit supervisor or a franchisee or franchisee of multiple, multiple stores. I mean, growing that talent from within seemed to be over and over again what the really good companies were doing. That and the BHAG. I love me some BHAG. Big, hairy, audacious goals. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting as well. And it was nice to, you know, I've heard that term before and it was nice to see where it had come from. I'm assuming that that's a Jim Collins thing. It absolutely is. The first place that BHAG is listed is in Built to Last. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was kind of cool. And, you know, I think uh, you may remember when we were in St. Louis, you heard Jeremy talking about his BHAG. And I was like, yeah. oh, I've heard that somewhere. So that was pretty cool. Anything else on the book before we go to uh, to kind of our, our final ranking or what where this is going to be for us? No, I think we can jump into the ranking. You want to go first and tell us where you put it? 
Yeah, sure. So we've got in the book bag or in the backpack, we've got on the desk, we've got it on the shelf, or we've got it donated to the library. For me, I think the work that Jim and Jerry did along with their team is remarkable. I think it's really good stuff. I think like Drew mentioned at the end of the chapters, they, they kind of go into a way that it can work for you. For me, it's just too darn long. I think all the information is great. I enjoyed the book. I learned a lot from the book. I think with our listeners' busy schedules, it's just too much. You know, you talk about Simon Sinek and the infinite game in your Better Than Yesterday multi-unit supervision and how the book is, I don't know, 4,500 pages long, but there's a 15-minute video on YouTube that explains the whole principle, and you like that better. I'd love to see a 15-minute video that explains the things that I could use as a store manager or an assistant manager or a multi-unit manager that comes out of Built to Last because I think the book's just too darn long. So for me, it's going to be in the donation bin. I'm not going to be giving this one to anyone to read. You know, if somebody's got a couple of extra hours on their plate and they want to read it, I think it's a good read. I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. I think it's well written, even though it's not a fable, but there's just nothing in it for me that I would recommend it. So for me, this one's going to be in the donation bin. How about you, Drew? All right. So Sam, it's taken us 12 episodes and I think 10 book reviews, and I'm going to disagree with you. I I don't think I'll give this to people, but the way he's got the guidelines for the managers at the end, the way he talks about clock building instead of just telling time, I don't know if I would give it to all of my like brand new managers or brand new supervisors, but I might give it to them if I tagged, like don't get into, because that's the other piece of this. We might not mention that. The book's 26, 28 years old. So some of the companies don't exist anymore. Even though they were built to last, they've gotten crushed over the last couple of years. So I would be less concerned about the company comparisons and more about how to take the principle he talks about, the BHAGs, the building a clock instead of telling time, the visionary status, the and instead of or, and how to implement that as a new manager in a store or a new supervisor. So I'd probably give pieces of it. Like I could see this as a hour and a half in somebody's onboarding, not so much giving them the book to read, but going over those key concepts. So for me, it's going to go uh, on a shelf. You know, like you said, it's taken us a long time to disagree. And with that said, I'm not going to unfriend you on Facebook or block you or anything. Oh, I did already to you. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, I think you make great points. I think there's some stuff that's really good about it. You mentioned the clock builder or the time teller. I think that's an amazing concept, but you know, I think I picked it up enough that I can can use it. And if somebody wants to get deeper into it and find out where it came from, I'll let them know where it came from and, and give it to them. So we're separate on this one. I think we both liked it. I just think we're gonna use it or not use it a little bit differently. And hey, guess what, kids? That's okay to disagree with somebody. You can still be friends and still have great conversations. You can. Or you could stop talking and bring Liam Neeson into the fold. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Sam, it's your favorite. It's taken. So what have you taken from the stores? A couple of big takens for me. First and foremost, we're going to talk more about retention. Given my 10 days in Benton Harbor, I can't stress enough the importance of doing selection and doing good quality interviews. The franchisee there, Dave, was doing great interviews. He was spending 20, 25 minutes with each and every applicant, and he was really getting down to see 
if there was a place where he could help them grow into becoming a great team member. And that's one of the things I really respect about David is he wants to help people. He's a franchisee because he wants to give people opportunities and help them to grow. And I think it's just super important that we're doing great interviews and that we feel like we're hiring people that have got a chance to become useful members of our team and that we're not simply hiring to fill holes in the schedule. And that's, you know, I've been preaching it to everybody I talk to. You've got to do better interviews. You've got to do selection. And these last 10 days have really made me believe that in today's world, as well as the world that, that I grew up in with Domino's Pizza. How about you? What have you taken from the stores, Drew? Well, Sam, my taking is that when you have a chance, you should always talk to your team members and ask them open-ended, easy questions. I'm going to tell you about cinnamon rolls. I like cinnamon rolls. Right? Who doesn't like cinnamon rolls? Oh, my God. My stomach is growling. Tell me about cinnamon rolls. So I was with Kenny Cobb teaching the Better Than Yesterday visit system to his supervisors, and the store we were about to visit had a food problem. And when we pulled up their food variants, it was weird. It was butter pan and Cinemagic and it wasn't boxes. And it was weird that that would like, like that's an ordering issue. But because I'm teaching a class and I want them to get to the solution, we broke the group into threes. One group went into the data to look how they were counting food. One group went into their walk-in to see how they were ordering the food. And one group went to the drivers. And that's where the fun started because the question they asked the drivers was really simple. What do you guys do to eat around here? The answer was, oh my gosh, let me tell you about our cinnamon rolls. And it seemed that Two months or three months prior, they had a record week and the manager in charge made cinnamon rolls for everybody. An entire pan dough patty in a, in a pan, Cinemagic, sweet icing, let's go nuts. Oh my God. Right? Sounds awesome. But here we are now months later and the drivers told us that every single driver got one at the end of every shift. And now every insider was telling us the same thing once we were like, wait, is this a thing? And in a store doing a good bit of volume where they have 30 and 40 team members, every shift, everybody's getting cinnamon rolls. All of a sudden, you're literally spending thousands of dollars to feed your team. On just one cinnamon roll? One each, every shift, every day. Yes. Holy cow. <laughs> Some listeners going to do the math and go, no. And I'm going to look at you and go, yes. <laughs> I'm guessing they probably had some unexpected uniform expense as well. It might get a little larger as time goes on. Yes. Holy cow. But you know what, Sam? We were talking about keep your people, right? So how do you just stop that now? Because everybody thinks that's part of it's the end of my shift. I get my cinnamon rolls. So that was just a delicate as delicate a conversation as anything to look at the crew and go, hey, you haven't been doing anything wrong, but we haven't been honest with you and we need to pull this back a little bit. It was interesting, but all of it stemmed from us asking such an easy question. What do you do to eat around here? It wasn't a tell us where all the food waste is. <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't what happens to the pando in the store. Be open with your team, ask an open-ended question that is not accusatory. See where it takes you. You might be amazed. Yeah, I think that's really important. You're asking questions to observe, not to judge, and you're trying to get to, to what's going on. And wow, I'm hungry now. You know, if you're hungry, there's a good way to solve that. 
Eat a cinnamon roll. Or cut to an ad. Hey, Sam, we've discussed so many topics in this podcast, but I thought it was time for us to stop talking and start training. That's a great idea, Drew. Hey, listeners, join us on July 20th for Drew and Sam Train Leadership. It's a mini-con event. During that event, you'll hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three breakouts full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability and recognized with an impact. But wait, there's more. You'll also have an opportunity to network with our other listeners of this podcast. Now, on some podcasts, you may pay hundreds of dollars for this two hours, but no, with us, just $49 gets you access to this event. Wow, what a bargain. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com, all one word, T-R-A-I-N-W-I-T-H-B-T-Y.com. Do it today. What are you waiting for? Well, that's pretty cool about that whole minicon, Sam. And how can our listeners uh, register for that? Oh, it's very easy. You're just going to go to that interweb and you're going to go to trainwithbty.com. Again, that's trainwithbty.com. All one word, no hyphens, no underscores, simply T-R-A-I-N-W-I-T-H-B-T-Y.com. I think they should do it today. What do you think, Drew? I think they should pause the podcast and do it right now. I think that's probably a good idea because I think this thing's going to sell out. It'll come close. All right. So, hey, Sam, let's move on from our ad and talking about ourselves for a minute and talk about our next guest, the former CEO of Domino's Pizza, Patrick Doyle. It was so awesome for us to get, I mean, you've listened to a few of these podcasts, listeners. We may have fanboyed a little bit over Don May. We had a really good time with Dave Brandon over two episodes and Dave was good enough to say, hey, Patrick might do this. And so now here you get to listen to us talk to Patrick Doyle about what he's up to and some things he may have done different. So here's former CEO, Patrick Doyle. You can talk to me. Talk to me. You can talk to me. So we're so happy to have former CEO Patrick Doyle with us. He was the CEO from 2010 to 2018, joined Domino's Pizza in 1997. Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sam. Drew, appreciate you both inviting me. Oh, it's our pleasure. The fact that you actually responded to my email was amazing to me, I've got to say, to be oh, honest. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'll always respond to your email. <laughs> Dave had said he was going to reach out to you. So that that had maybe put a limiter on the, is he really going to respond to the email? <laughs> I had talked to Chris Brandon as well, and he said he was shooting with you. And I'm like, shooting? What, what in the world? That would be true. Excellent. I spend a lot of time in Montana these days. So nice. Good for you. Shooting's an important part of life. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Patrick, I get the joy of asking the first question, these podcasts. And if you've listened to any of them, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you haven't, fantastic. Here's the first one. It's, it's a tough one. In the time I was in the building, I witnessed you walk the floors often, uh, whether heading to a meeting or to see one of your EVPs. And I once watched you throw a football back and forth with one Stan Gage. And it <laughs> makes sense because, well, he likes football. So the question I have for you, Patrick, is if you had somebody who was, say, really into ice hockey, would you have been shooting pucks with them instead? I would not have been. I would not have been. I, getting me on skates and around a hockey rink, I, yeah, that, that's not something I could do. But the good news of, you know, I mean, throwing a football with Stan was 
you know, and until last year or so, throwing a football with Stan meant that was probably the best football he saw all year. And so, you know, it was good. It was good to help him out a little bit. Yeah, his Browns did have a good year last year. His Brownies had a good year. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, the old Brownies jokes don't work as well anymore. <laughs> yeah, and as Michigan fans, it's tough for us with Stan as well. Well, you know, we're we're a basketball school. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. I like it. <laughs> but I'm eternally optimistic. This is the year. There you go. In the spirit of lighter based questions, tell our listeners what your favorite pizza is. I've always kind of been on the on the extremes. So I've always been a fan of a Pacific veggie on on a thin crust or the, uh, you know, the hand pan on a, you know, pepperoni. I mean, just kind of, you know, from the big, delicious, you know, one. Although I have to say, I had a Brooklyn the other day with pepperoni that was fabulous. I mean, it was really, really good. So I, you know, pepperoni on a, on a Brooklyn crust may be a go-to for a while here. Yeah, that's kind of my go-to. I love the Brooklyn crust and just pepperoni. And even after almost four decades of doing this pizza thing, I'm like, yeah, I'll take a pepperoni pizza. <laughs> yep. All right. So let's get into a couple uh, operations-based questions, if you don't mind. Yep, sure. I once had the pleasure of driving you around Minnesota. And it was a pleasure for me, and I'm fairly certain it wasn't for you, but that's a different story for a different day. You had mentioned to me that you felt that going from GM to supervisor was the biggest leap in operations. Would you mind telling our listeners why you believe that? I think that the real reason for that is I think people can generate very good numbers as a general manager in a store and still have a bad leadership style. It doesn't work when they become a district manager. When they're a supervisor of, you know, of six or eight stores, it just doesn't work anymore. And the, and the reason for that is, you know, when I was running Team USA, I, I made some early mistakes and it's kind of what taught me this, which was, you know, if we needed a new district manager, fundamentally, the easiest thing to do was to look at the general manager who had the best numbers and promote them, right? And it's like, okay, if they're doing a great job of running a, you know, one unit, they'll be able to teach everybody else how to, how to run their units as well. And the problem with that, and what I found out was there were some people who were running stores, getting great results, who for lack of a better term were bullies. They could run it very hard without engaging their team very effectively and get great results because all of those people were, you know, except when they were out on runs were, you know, were within 10 or 20 feet of them in the store. And so they were kind of control freaks and were telling everybody what to do. And they could actually be effective with that. They could actually get good numbers. But the problem is when you become a, a supervisor and you're running a group of stores, you're not with those people most of the time. You've got to be developing people who are good leaders in their in their own right. And the physical distance means the old approach to your know, leadership just simply doesn't work anymore. If you're successful at that, I will tell you, I never made a mistake promoting the best supervisor to be a director of operations running 50 stores. 
and having, you know, six, you know, or seven district managers reporting to them. It's the same skill set. But early on, somebody who's effective at running a shift or somebody who's effective at running a store can do that without having great leadership skills. They will fail if you promote that kind of person um, to the next level. And I had to learn that the hard way a few times before I realized, you know what? No, I've got to look for the, you know, I, I certainly want somebody who's very, very successful and has credibility running a store, but I need to find the person who's doing it the right way, who's engaging their team, has them excited and motivated. And and that's really how you're successful then at every level after that. We've got a lot of younger franchisees now in the system that are experiencing some really fun growth for them. And I think they're seeing exactly the same thing that you saw when you were first at Team USA. And they're they're looking at these great general managers and trying to promote them. I think all three of us, Drew, myself, and, and you just said it very nicely that looking for your best manager isn't necessarily the best way to go. In fact, sometimes it's the worst way to go. So if I'm looking at my team and I want to promote from within, especially if I've got a smaller company, what specific characteristics would you look for other than simply hitting the numbers from a quantitative perspective. So kind of diving into the numbers, you know, you're still going to look at all the basics on their sales growth and, you know, they giving great service and all of that. But what I would add to that then importantly is I would look at their turnover numbers in their store. I would look at how many assistant managers they have developed to be managers in other stores within that franchisees system. You know, there's always that person that that leader that they go to who is great at training um, is great at developing people. And there are some metrics you can look at, but I also think that, you know, people usually know who that person is. You know, they, I mean, they do. I mean, they, you know, if they, if, if it's a franchisee with four or five stores, they know who the person is, who is most engaging with their team, you know, who has the happiest people in their store, you know, has the low turnover. All of those things are the, are the things that, that you're looking for. And, you know, and frankly, the, you know, the person who has proven that they care about their team, you know, not just while they're in the store, but while they are, uh, you know, their, their personal lives and they know them well and they, you know, they built relationships with them. Those are the people who are going to be successful at the next level. I love that. Looking at not just the, the numbers that you can pull easy off a of PNL or something, but all the soft skill stuff. That's, yep. that's huge for any leader. So speaking of leaders, Sam and I have had the pleasure of now talking with you, uh, Dave, before that, Don May, bunch of franchisees, GMs of the year. And I just want to know, is there a leader that you talked to or or been excited to meet? Wow. Yeah, well, first of all, I have to say, I mean, you know, getting Dave and Don on, those are two pretty amazing leaders. You know, I, I learned different things from, from different people, even within the restaurant industry. There are people who I admire who are phenomenally successful with other concepts that do things you know, differently than we did. I don't know that I can pin it down to one name that's, you know, I had goosebumps when I met that one person. I've learned a lot from a lot of different people. And one of the things is there is no such thing as the perfect leader. There's nobody that doesn't have some blind spots or some areas that they ought to get better at. But I would tell you, we've got some amazing leaders in Domino's. I learned more from some of our best franchisees than I did from anyone else. And they 
they had different strengths. There were things that people lead in very, very different ways. Don May leads in a very different way than Dan Hosseini or Mike Orcott or Stan Gage or, you know, go through the, you know, Alan Irwin, go through the list of people. And you have very, very different leadership styles. Fernando Salido, I actually saw him a week or two ago, and they have very different styles and they're very effective, all of them, but in different ways. So I don't know that I can pin it down to one. One of the things I remember about you, Patrick, when we were in the building together, first of all, you were always very accessible. And I was fortunate enough to lead pizza prep school and you always came down to visit with everybody that was there. And you just always came off as, and I'm not just saying this because you're spending time with us. I mean, I I really mean this. You always came off as a class act at the highest level. And I think of all the years that I've known you, the classiest thing I ever saw you do was at a worldwide rally when you came up to the stage after Dave had come up to the stage. It was a year that we had all four CEOs there. Dave got less than a warm reception from the crowd. And I think you immediately stood up and had Dave's back. And could you tell us why you felt the need to do that and what inspired you to go up and do what I thought was a completely selfless and a completely classy act. It's easy to do that with Dave. I love the man. I learned so much from him. We remain very, very close friends. I look back at what we've accomplished in Domino's and so much of it traces back to things that Dave put in place. I'll give you two prime examples. One of them was extraordinarily unpopular when he did it. And the other, he just doesn't get enough credit for. So the first one is, you know, everything we've done with digital goes back to, you know, him having the guts to stand up and say, we're going to have one POS system where we are going to mandate pulse. And, you know, and a lot of people were angry and it was a very hard call for Dave to make it because he knew it was not going to be terribly popular. It was the foundation for everything we got done in digital. You may recall, I'm sure you do. You know, we had franchisees sue us over that. I can remember one franchisee no longer in the system, but a... um, From Central Ohio. From Central Ohio, but actually wasn't one of the ones in the lawsuit. A a tall gentleman from Los Angeles who got in my face one day and said, you know, you guys are not a technology company. You've lost your minds. You just aren't going to be able to do this successfully. And, you know, look, Pulse in the early days had lots of problems. There were a lot of things that we had to work through, as you will with any new technology. But the fact is, the success that we are having as a system today and have had for the last decade because of our digital strength, the entire foundation of that was Dave making the decision that he was going to mandate one POS system. And we got so far ahead of our competitors as a result of that. It always bothered me that that there were franchisees out there that still somehow felt negatively about that decision when it was so clearly, is so clearly pivotal to the success we've had. So that was one part. The other thing is the pizza turnaround. Because I was in the ad, because it was announced um, the same week I was announced as, you know, as being the next CEO, I get all this credit for it. Dave was the CEO when we made the decision to completely reformulate the pizza. And Dave, I remember early attempts on it, on the pizza and Dave saying, no, you know, the bar's got to be higher than this and really pushing for something that ultimately was a breakthrough for us. It's funny because to this day, people give me 
lots and lots of credit for that and give Dave, I think, very little credit for that. And he was the CEO when the decision was made. Easy for me to talk about Dave as fondly as I do, you know, not only because I love the man, he was an amazing leader and he, you know, he gave me the opportunities that led to me being CEO and, and being able to do other, you know, really cool things for the franchisees. But he made a couple of decisions that were incredibly pivotal. And I just think I get too much credit for, you know, some of the success we had in digital and for the pizza turnaround. That's why it was easy to do it. Well, that's a great story. And again, I thought it was the classiest thing ever. I mean, when you got up and you started talking, I was in that arena and I I got chills because I was just, I I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I agree. So, hey, if we're going to talk about Dave and and the roles he put you in, then let's actually talk about those roles. Would you mind a two-part question? Sure. First off, what was either, however you want to phrase it, the most challenging or the role that that stretched your abilities the most while at Domino's? Oh boy, I'm going to cheat and give two answers for different reasons. I think you'll, you'll get why I'm cheating. The international role for me was really natural. I had a lot of experience in international previous previously in my life. And, you know, and it's so much about building relationships and trust with our master franchisees and kind of setting a path. I mean, that one, I did it for five years, but honestly, I loved it, but it really played to my strengths as a leader. I think the one that was far more challenging for me prior to being CEO, and that's that's the other one, was running Team USA. Look, I didn't come up through the stores. And when I look at my strengths and weaknesses as a leader, I think I'm pretty good at seeing around corners and doing the vision stuff and and making some, some big decisions along the way that had a fair amount of risk associated with them. And there are a lot of those things that I think were fairly natural for me. Grinding execution in stores is not my natural strength. And it was not something that I knew well. And, and thank God I had some, you know, some people around me starting, you know, at the top of the list with Scott Hinshaw, who were a part of my team when I was doing that, that taught me what you needed to do to execute at a high level in stores. And, you know, it was just, it was not necessarily playing to my strength. I I think I was very good at engaging the team. I was not the world's best at figuring out, okay, how do we, how do we get service better next week by, you know, X percent? I mean, it just, that was not something I had done previously in my career. It was something I really had to learn on the job. So, you know, I think that one was difficult. And, you know, I think I was surprised that I couldn't kind of snap my fingers and six months or a year later, we'd have Team USA just clicking and, you know, everything was going to be perfect. And we were going to have, you know, 19 minute delivery times. And, you know, we were going to be putting 20% to the bottom line. And, you know, I mean, it just, it was a big learning experience for me. The other that was being CEO. And there were things that I think I was very equipped to do. There were things that I had never done. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, so much of of my time as as CEO wound up kind of being around what we did in digital. I had never run a technology 
group in my career. I had a lot of different things. I'd done sales and marketing and, you know, I'd run the stores and, you know, I'd run international and I had run manufacturing in a previous life in a business. And I mean, there are a lot of things I was familiar with, but what I wound up spending the most time on other than, than, you know, I think really kind of connecting around the people side and the franchisees was, was around technology. And that was entirely new for me. It was a lot of learning. And again, thank God there were, you know, there were some amazing leaders and, you know, I'll start with Kevin Basconi, but, you know, Kelly Garcia as well, you know, Dennis on kind of the digital side and, you know, I'm learning what you could do once you had built the platform, you know, so I had some great people to learn from, um, but it was very new for me. Well, if we're going to talk about challenging, and by the way, I want to thank you greatly for all the name dropping, because this is just people that we're going to tag when we post this. So thanks for (laughs) name dropping all. All these folks. So if we go to challenging, and I know you said international was the most natural for you, but what role was the most fun? Ultimately, the last role, ultimately being CEO. I mean, it was, you know, it was incredibly satisfying. And and it's the place where, you know, you can probably have the biggest impact on, on the most people. And you probably heard me say this many times, but you know, we make a great pizza and we we deliver it really efficiently and we do it for a really good value. And, you know, we'll help friends or family come together around a, a great meal. But that's not particularly profound. And it's not what got me excited in the morning. What got me excited was, you know, was the opportunity we were creating for people who were good people who believed in what we were doing and, and particularly around the franchise side. I mean, I just felt like when I got up in the morning, my job was to make the franchisees more successful. And because did have so much success and continue to have so much success in the system, that was just incredibly rewarding for me and, and fun. I think that speaks volumes because I think that's the reason that Drew and I do what we do is for the franchisees and to help them be successful. I've got so many friends over the previous four decades that went through some really rough times and stuck through it. And it's so nice to see them getting the level of success that they have now. It's amazing. Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, you know, 2007, 2008, when our system was struggling, it was, you know, and and right in there, I became president of the U.S. business. And I think fall of 2007, it was brutal. I mean, these are, these are, you know, these are friends. These are people who I feel like I'm responsible for. It is my job to help these people be successful. And it was brutally tough for 24 months or so. Yeah, it was some pretty tough sledding. Man, that was a great interview. Patrick came to us live from his home in Montana. He was so gracious as he's always been, answered all our questions, talked about things. Uh, Patrick, if you're listening, thanks again so much for that time you spent with us. We truly appreciate it. Hey, Willie, why don't you play us something? On the road again. Just can't wait to get on. Drew, uh, where are you going to be on the road again to? Oh, uh, let's see. I start. I think you're home for a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to steal that thunder from you because now the roles are reversed. I'm heading off to Tennessee next week, and I get to drive across Tennessee, uh, seeing Brian Hamilton's supervisors as I go town to town to town, ending in Roanoke. And then the week after, I'm going to Greensboro to go see Mickey Tingen and his team do another BTY system out in Greensboro. How about you, Sam? 
You know, since we talked last, I did have something come up for next week that I'm pretty excited about. As some of our listeners may know, and probably less of them actually don't know, I've got a little side hustle. I sell Middleby Marshall ovens for Domino's Pizza, and I'm heading to the factory. We're working on a new oven that's going to be quieter than the Wow's, which has been a legitimate big concern of the Wow ovens. I'm sorry, Sam. I couldn't hear you over the Wow oven seven miles from my house. Yeah, exactly. So we're working on a new (laughs) oven. We're going to be dialing in the bake. We've got the folks from Domino's coming in in about 35 days to take a look at it and see what's going on. So it's going to give the franchisees out there a better option than we've had in the last few years and give them some options between XLT and Middleby. I just want to take this time to say that you know, even though I sell Middleby ovens, you know, I think the XLT makes a, makes a good product. I think their ovens look great in the stores and they're doing a great job there in Wichita. I will say this, I think our ovens bake a little bit better. If you'd uh, like to hear about what Middleby's got to offer, I'd love to hear from you. And then after that, back to this whole training thing, I'm heading to Maine, looking forward to that, heading up the coast, hit a lobster shack or two, get some fresh lobster right out of the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm going to be spending some time with uh, Fernando Stelson and we're going to be doing some training with his GMs. I'm really excited about getting back to the great state of Maine for the first time in, gosh, 25 years, I think. I'm sorry, did you say you're going to a lobster shack or a lobster shack? Yeah, I'll be uh, eating some lobster. I'm going to park my car out there in the yard. I'm going to go down to the uh, coast and get some lobster right out of the ocean, and it should be wicked good. Cool. That's all I'm going to say to that is cool because I'm not even going to mess with you and your Boston because, well, yeah. I know you've spent time there. Yeah, I lived out there for about 18 months, worked with uh, franchisee Jeff Schembechler, and um, there's a chance that I practiced that accent every now and then. Totally makes sense. So, hey, Sam, I think it's time for us to land this bird. What do you think? I think we should land this plane. Uh, You know, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, We'd love it if you'd share these episodes with your friends, like them on your favorite podcast platform, follow us, subscribe, do what you got to do. We've done a lot on this episode. We went through where we've been. We talked about retention, gave you the three steps that we think are important to that, the positive energy, the keep who you got, set expectations in an interview. You heard about built to last, our takens from the store, the fabulous interview with former CEO Patrick Doyle and where we're going to be, including testing ovens. So for now, I think it's goodbye for the Drew and Sam Talk Training Podcast. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fowler Consulting. As always, go out and sell more pizza and have more fun. We hope to get back on our regular schedule and see you two weeks from today. And for now, that's all, folks. 